What is up, team? Welcome back. Today, I am joined once again by Brandon DeCruz. Brandon, I almost feel like I should like make you a guest host or something. You've been on here a lot lately, bringing so much value again, man. We got so much good feedback. Um, we just recently recorded part one of this episode or of the series on the body fat overshooting effect. And kind of really digging deep into uh, the this whole concept of body fat overshooting why people get stuck in this pattern of yo-yo dieting why it's so easy to regain body fat after the diet and then today i know we kind of wanted to make um this episode some actionable takeaways for people on how they can avoid this body fat overshooting effect going forward um so first and foremost i skipped a little bit ahead of myself but thank you for being here man as always i appreciate it Absolutely, Jeremiah. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And also, I want to thank everyone that reached out after the last episode that we recorded, because I got a ton of great feedback, first and foremost, on what we covered. You know, this was a, a topic that so many people have went through. They've been that person that has lost 20 pounds and regained 25 or 30. And a lot of times we see that and then we blame it on the diet We don't realize that there's many things that are under our control and that it's not just you know, um, a harsh reality of dieting. So I had so many people that reached out to me and said, man, I've experienced this, but I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand why I was predisposed to this. And I had so many competitors that reached out as well, or, you know, people that do photo shoots or just like more, um, you know, very serious lifestyle, uh, you know, clients that reached out and said, listen, I've experienced this. And I didn't realize that I, pur I purposely raised my calories aggressively after a diet thinking that I was, I was primed for gaining tissue. And when it didn't go my way, I thought that, you know, maybe I messed up the diet or maybe I, I used all these other factors. My metabolism was damaged. All these different reasons or excuses or scapegoats, when in reality, I just didn't realize that what I was hearing, you know, out on social media or I was hearing on websites or I was reading was in factual information. So I'm really glad that we got that across. And today we're going to go through a bunch of components that are more applicable to what to do after your diet. But it really is stemmed on, I got, uh, I, I collected 17 questions, which I broke down into seven categories. So I really appreciate everyone that reached out with your questions. What I tried to do, and I, I let Jeremiah know about this, was that a lot of them were similar, you know, but they were very specific to the person. So I said, listen, I'm going to kind of categorize this, or I'm going to group this into, you know, one particular question and kind of address it more in a broad and, you know, general standpoint, because to go through, you know, to really go through each person's individual case, it's not applicable to, you know, right. we're an N of one. So what I really want to get out to is a foundation today of what to do after your diet. You know, a lot of the questions that I had were very specific, but they could be, you know, approached in more of a general scenario to get you guys off on the right foot. And then from there, if you guys have any additional questions, you know, you guys can feel free to reach out to either of us. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's definitely the most helpful way to structure this because again, like the questions are all very, very specific. So this will be such a good overview for anyone to be able to take this and apply it to themselves. And again, I know we got such good feedback on the last episode. Someone said we should write a book together and I want to make sure it's super clear to listeners that this is all Brandon. <laughs> this is, I'm just asking questions. This is, that would be Brandon writes a book in I would read it and learn a shit ton along with you guys. So once again, man, I appreciate you sharing all your knowledge. Are you ready to go ahead and get into it? Absolutely. Let's do it. Cool. Cool. So um, first and foremost, why is it that we want to avoid gaining fat or excess fat in this post-diet period? All right. So this was a question that I really got a lot of inquiries about. And I actually, this actually stems also from a question that you had for me. 
uh, initially after our last podcast, which was about the topic of gaining new fat cells. So, you know, just from a broad based point of view, there are several reasons as to why we would want to avoid regaining excessive amounts of fat post-diet that go far beyond just simply impacting like the look of our physique or in doing, you know, all the hard work that we put in during the diet. And then also the psychological impact that gaining or regaining fat immediately after diet, after being in our lean state has on our body image. We need to realize that when we lose body fat, our fat cells shrink, which decreases our secretion of leptin as leptin is primarily produced by our fat cells. So when the size of our fat cells shrink, so does the amount of leptin that's secreted as those large full fat cells produce more leptin than small shrunken fat cells. This is something we covered on the previous podcast. Mm -hmm. So with this drop in leptin comes a lack of satiety as leptin signals that we have enough energy in the system. So as leptin drops, we experience an increase in ghrelin, which is our main hunger hormone, which drives up appetite and causes the increase in hunger that many of us are familiar with during a diet, which I covered, which that term hyperphagia. So as I mentioned in the last podcast, when we, you know, when fat cells shrink, they essentially become more insulin sensitive, which really just means that they're more readily able to uptake and store fuels such as fatty acids and glucose as they're primed for growth, leading you to be more likely to gain fat than muscle post-diet, especially if you go right back to your old maintenance or you go into a caloric surplus. So the amount of fat that we have on our bodies is directly related to the size of our fat cells. Now, this is what's interesting. Initially, like if you were in the fitness industry 10 or 15 years ago, as Jeremiah and I have or, or were, you would have heard um, that your fat cells were essentially, you know, predetermined. So we used to think that the number of fat cells that each individual person had was predetermined and that the only times or situations that we'd see a large increase in fat cell number would be during either puberty or during cases of obesity. But in mo more recent years, we've actually seen data and literature com coming out that points otherwise. So now we know that there's something called fat cell hyperplasia, which is essentially the creation of fat cells, which can occur if you regain weight too quickly in the post-dieting period, especially as you're sensitized to fat gain due to the metabolic adaptations that come from dieting. So we actually have mechanistic research that shows that new adipocytes, which are just fat cells, can form in certain hormonal environments. And what the literature shows is that when key hormones like thyroid and leptin are low, this is the exact like hormonal situation that can exacerbate that creation of new adipocytes. Now, let's think about what we went through last week. When you're in a dieting phase, some of the metabolic adaptations that we see and that are notable throughout all the literature are a decrease in thyroid, especially in T3, as well as a drastic decrease in leptin. So what this is essentially showing us is that after your diet, if you regain weight too quickly, you not only will refill your fat cells that you previously had that were shrunken, but you'll also increase you know, the previously uh, depleted size and add in new fat cells than you already have. So that, that's one, one drawback. So we have mechanistic data that we can add new fat cells. So the creation of new fat cells, which then you can't eliminate essentially. And then the other drawback, we have to think about it more of a practical standpoint. So I'm always going back and forth between what I see in the research and then what I really see like in an anecdotal scenario, like with clients. And another drawback of gaining like excessive body fat after your diet is that you may reset your body's set point. So this is essentially, you know, the point in which your body feels safe and normal. And you might raise that baseline if you regain fat too quickly after your diet. So this would cause your body to get used to functioning with a higher level of leptin available. Because let's think about it, more fat cells, more leptin secretion. Now, when that happens, 
the next time that you would diet down, the metabolic adaptations and psychological symptoms that you would have experienced once you got under, say, 8% of body fat, as you did previously, you might now experience, you know, when you're just getting abs at 15% body fat. So what this would theoretically mean, and I've seen this in competitors, honestly, I've seen people that have went through both competitors and lifestyle clients that have had these massive rebounds or that yo-yo chronic dieter where their future diets are more difficult and they need to be longer due to the, the new amount of fat that they have. And also the fact that they're more susceptible to suffering from more extreme metabolic adaptations at a differing percentage of body fat. So this is something like both on a research perspective, but also from like a practical standpoint, we really want to avoid because you're making the next diet harder, regaining excessive amounts of body fat. This is something you're going to have to strip off if body composition is a goal of yours. So that's why we want to be cautious. And we also want to be conservative about our rate of gain post-diet. That makes so much sense. And again, the, with female competitors, especially is the most time, often time you hear this example of like the diet, the more times you've dieted, sometimes the harder it gets and but i don't think i've ever heard anyone explain it like that that makes complete sense of this okay so really that's a product of or more what you're saying is that's not a product of the way that they're currently dieting but rather how they handle the period after their last diet right exactly because exactly we have to think about it from a perspective. Yes, we can regain fat cells, but even if that wasn't a case, if we didn't know that data, even 10 or 15 years ago before that type of stuff came out, let's think about it from a theoretical perspective. We all know guys that have dirty bolts and have went up to excessive amounts of body fat during an off season. And they all say that their next diet was so much longer and drawn out and so much more severe in terms of how much they had to take off because when it comes down to building or to creating your best physique, it is a combination of both leanness in terms of a low percentage of body fat, as well as retaining muscle. But generally, a lot of guys would have taken this, you know, back in the day, this dirty bulking approach where they push an excessive surplus. And we've all done it. I've done it myself. You know, I, I have experience with this. But what I noticed was my next diet was substantially longer. It was harder. And it wasn't like I netted that much more tissue because I had to diet more severely. Now let's think about it if we extrapolate that. If we do that over the course of multiple diets, every time that you diet with these yo-yo dieting type of scenarios, every time you're dieting, you're regaining more fat than you lost. And every single time it becomes harder and harder, just like a practical scenario, because now you have more fat than you had to begin with. So if you started say at 20% body fat as a male for your first diet, you got down to 10%, but then you you body fat overshot to 25%. Now your starting point, you have much more body fat to drop just to get down to that 10% of body fat. And we have to realize that metabolic adaptations come from two things. It's from the, you know, the severity of the deficit. So your short-term energy restriction. So the amount that you need to take off to actually um, lose body fat, but also from the amount of body fat loss. So losing 10% body fat to get to 10% is much different than losing 15% body fat to get to 10% body fat, despite you getting to the same place. Right. And as you mentioned as well, if we have more fat cells, then hunger is probably going to be higher throughout the process. And there's just going to be more of a mental grind, correct? Without a doubt. So think about it from this scenario. Uh, if you have more fat cells, you have more leptin secretion. So now when you diet down, we see in, in certain studies that within four to five days of entering a deficit, your leptin levels drop by half. Now, leptin not only is an energy regulator in the system, but it also controls appetite and energy expenditure. So now if you went from having these high circulating levels of leptin and they drop in half, you're going to start you know, feeling the effects both physiologically, 
both and psychologically, you're gonna have that drive and that appetite increase at a much higher body fat than you had previously. So you're making it both a, a tougher process physically, but also mentally. And that's what most people struggle with. It's, it's not only the physiological things, like we see hormonal downregulations and things like that, but that's at lower levels of body fat. But really, if we look at people that are more overweight or have more body fat to lose, what really causes them to fall off the diet, or fail a diet is due to lack of energy and increases in hunger, which cause a lack of adherence. So we really want to mitigate that. We want to put ourselves in the best position to succeed. And one way to do that is to minimize fat gain, especially in that post-dieting period where you're more susceptible to it. Such a good perspective, man. And I know like for working with clients or for coaches working with clients, when you look at like you have two different people or like a, someone who is struggling to lose weight and it's like, okay, this should be working very easily for where they're at and the amount of calories that they're taking in. I think it's so easy to just look at the micro of, okay, we're in a deficit thus it should be working without considering, okay, so what was their last, like, what was their weight regain like after their last diet or the diet before that? So again, I think it's so helpful to be from a coaching perspective to just look at things from the macro perspective like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always asking clients about their past dieting history. Cause what I've seen is that there are some people that were successful dieters. And we spoke about mm -hmm. this you know, in terms of statistics, but I'll tell you from my own coaching experience, I have people that are really successful dieters that have come to me that are unsuccessful weight maintainers, mm -hmm. meaning they're great in the dieting phase. They get locked in on a goal. Let's think about it. When you're chasing fat loss, it is something that's rewarding on a weekly and sometimes even on a daily basis. You're seeing physical changes in the, in the mirror. You're seeing, you're seeing, um, weekly weight decreases on the scale. There's a bunch of like this dopamine sensing, um, going off where you're getting like this reward mechanism, but the maintenance periods, that's what's so hard. It's a nebulous period. There is very little reward. You're not chasing a goal. You're a lot of people look at maintenance as staying the same. What I try to get people to reshift their mindset around is that maintenance is just as important as the weight loss or fat loss period in and of itself, because it's allowing you to build a more sustainable lifestyle while maintaining the look that you desire to begin with. So now we're going to be able to eat more. We're going to be able to stay leaner than we did previously. And you're going to reset your body's homeostatic set point if you do things correctly. But a lot of people right after the diet, they look at it as like this on and off switch. What I'm always trying to drive back home to people is let's look at it as a dimmer switch. Let's look at it as this is, you know, when I'm on in a fat loss phase, I need to be a little bit more stricter. I need to be, you know, count my calories a little bit more. I need to make sure I, I check off all the boxes. But as soon as I transition over, I need to continue integrating the same habits and behaviors that led me to be successful in the dieting phase post diet so I can maintain those results. Because we all know people that have gotten shredded for stage or shredded for a vacation or a wedding or a photo shoot. And they look that way on one day. But, and they're so happy. They feel this relief and they feel this sense of satisfaction. Uh, you know, they feel fulfillment out of that, but then they feel the exact opposite because a week later they look completely different and they pretty much have undone much of the hard work and the results that they've attained in that period. Absolutely. No, I love it. And I think that perspective of the dimmer switch is so valuable to give the clients. Um, so then let's dig into, I know there were a lot of questions centered around reverse dieting, which I think this is a very smooth transition into that. First of all, can you break down for us, what is a reverse diet? Absolutely. So a reverse diet is essentially a strategic and calculated method of increasing your calorie intake with the goal of finding your new maintenance calorie intake. Because after a diet, your maintenance calorie you know, intake is much different than it was before dieting. 
So first we find that maintenance calorie intake that is your new calorie intake. And then from there, we would focus on titrating your food up while minimizing that fat gain, especially in this you know, post-dieting period where you're more susceptible. So when done correctly, reverse dieting provides a ton of benefits during this post-dieting period. You know, we can use reverse dieting to help increase your total daily energy expenditure or the amount of calories you burn per day. We can use it to reverse some of the metabolic and the hormonal adaptations that come from being in an energy deficit. And we also have to think about just from a theoretical or practical perspective of the increase in food intake and what that will allow and what benefits that will provide. So more food equals a larger variety of nutrients, both in terms of your macro and your micronutrients. It could, you know, increase, increasing calories can also help fuel better training performance in terms of your training volume and intensity, as well as your ability to recover from training, which is something I really see starting to like peter off during the end of a diet. People are more systemically fatigued. They're more likely to need a deload. They feel like they're dragging in the gym. So increasing food is one way to mitigate that. We see increases in energy levels. We see decreases in stress levels because whether we look at it or as a stressor or not, dieting is a stressor on the system. Um, it improves all your biofeedback markers ranging from your sleep quality to energy levels, to your stress management ability, to digestion, to hunger and appetite. And then another thing is it lowers food focus and helps improve one's relationship with food. Because let's think about it. If you have more food to work with, you're going to be able to be a little bit more flexible. You're going to be able to fit in more social occasions. So there's so many benefits that are incorporated or that come with reverse dieting correctly. And then one of the biggest benefits I see in addition to all these, you know, physiological and psychological benefits in with many of my clients is I'm able to build up their intake while keeping them lean, which many have been unable to do in the past, which is why they have a history of yo-yo dieting because they've been the person that has, you know, overshot their body fat percentage post diet. And then they've went to these chronic cycles of binging and restricting. They've overshot and then they went right into a deficit and then they overshot and went right into a deficit where they've been that weekday dieter that diets Monday through Friday and then binges and over consumes on the weekends. So by reverse dieting, I'm slowly titrating up calories and I'm building, you know, I'm giving their body what they, it needs, but also putting it in more of a, a comfortable position where it's utilizing more energy. It's expending more energy and they're staying leaner and they're starting to not only your body's sensing that you have enough energy in the system, but also that person is building a better relationship with food and saying, wow, I can maintain a leaner physique, not overly restricting myself, not being in a massive deficit, not feeling like shit. So there's so many things that go far beyond just like the physical benefits. Absolutely. So I think that one of the most misunderstood things about reverse dieting or something that seems to be kind of blurry for most people is who should and who shouldn't do a reverse diet. So from your perspective, like who would benefit most from undertaking a reverse diet? Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. There's so many, you know, I see a lot of blanket prescriptions um, right. that people put out there on social media or on any of these fronts. And I understand, you know, they're trying to, you know, essentially apply, appeal to everyone. But really when it comes down to it, it's very context and person specific. And there is a multitude of individuals and a variety of reasons that, you know, a person could use uh, a reverse diet, but there's pretty much three categories of people that I find reverse dieting most beneficial for. The first would be someone who has achieved their goal and gotten lean, but who is now on calories which are unsustainably low. This allows for a lot less room for error, especially as like a lot of these people have a lower total daily energy expenditure due to the metabolic adaptations that they've sustained. So like a simple slip up off the diet can easily put them into a surplus if they don't work their calories back up. So I would reverse diet with, you know, use a reverse diet with this individual to build up their maintenance calorie intake so that they could have a greater calorie buffet. 
buffer and essentially increase their total daily energy expenditure because that's what I'm seeing most downregulated. Mm-hmm. The second would be contest prep competitors or very serious lifestyle competitors, whether that be someone that trains for photo shoots, fitness models, things of that sort, because they've gotten to such a low and lean state of body fat that it wouldn't be healthy to remain at this level. And a lot of people don't realize that what you see on social media with these shredded fitness models and competitors, that is not only unsustainable, but it's unhealthy. So right. these individuals, I'm using a reverse diet to mitigate a lot of the negative effects and especially on their biofeedback markers and you know, the potential hormonal issues that come as a result of getting to down to essential levels of body fat. And then the last one is, is actually what I see most common and a lot of people don't think of is someone who either has a chronic dieting history or has been in a fat loss phase for a significant period of time and has gotten to the point where their calories are super low, but fat loss has stalled. And this approach, you know, the approach they would need to continue to lose body fat would not only be extreme, but it'd be unsustainable, which is why I'd want to use a reverse diet. So I I usually would use this with this individual as a way to reset a person's response to dieting, you know, because at one point you just can't eat less and exercise more, which is what a lot of people don't understand. So sometimes when I, I will speak with these individuals, they want more fat loss. So me telling them that we need to eat more and build up their calorie intake almost sounds like counterintuitive and almost as though it's the exact opposite of a, what they should do and b what they want to do. But if we can push up their maintenance calories over time and limit body fat regain during this period, I get to put them in a position where they could be far more likely to lose significantly more body fat in the future versus continuing to try to grind out on sustainably low calories, you know, that are going to put them in a position where they're living a lifestyle that is unsustainable. And even if they were able to lose more of the body fat that they, they desire and wish to lose, they're never going to be able to maintain those results. So we're essentially setting that person up for, for failure and to be one of those, those dietary regain, you know, rebound statistics. So that's like the common scenario that I find with a lot of lifestyle clients. When I suggest them, I say, listen, I can't diet your feedback, your biofeedback's off, your blood works off. We need to rebuild. We need to, a lot of times they think of it like steps, taking steps back. And I'm like, no, listen, we're taking steps forward, especially in terms of your ability to make progress even further in the future. So with that lifestyle, because I think like for this podcast, it's probably the most applicable listener here. Um, with that lifestyle focused client, what specifically are we kind of building up here by giving them more food to make fat loss easier in the future? Because again, I think that there's kind of this, mysticism around reverse dieting it's like i don't know how the fuck it works but somehow i get to eat like way more food and then fat loss is gonna be way easier for me in the future and i kind of like to clarify that a little bit more so like because again of course this is going to require like in some way shape or form we need to be expending more energy to be able to lose quicker in the future or like what what mechanisms or processes are we kind of upregulating there does that make sense yeah absolutely so generally what i'm seeing is that people that come to me that have a history of chronic dieting they have several things that are, are off in terms of their biofeedback. Their energy is extremely low. Their ability to train hard is, is out the door. So they're really not using exercise in the best fashion to actually cement adaptations for muscular growth or aerobic capacity. Their steps are extremely low. And I see that quite commonly with lifestyle clients. They either never track them or they don't realize that they've substantially fallen. So really what I'm trying to do in this reverse dieting period is build up their energy expenditure so that they can stay leaner on higher calories. So I would utilize, you know, while I'm increasing food, I'm going to see increases in meat. So non-exercise activity thermogenesis. 
I'm going to see increases in training intensity, which are going to upregulate how many calories they burn during training. I'm going to see an increase from the thermic effect of feeding, which is, you know, how much uh, energy is utilized when you digest and assimilate nutrients. So all these things together are going to help to upregulate their energy expenditure. And then also the fact that they're taking more energy into the system is going to increase the resting metabolic rate. So all those components of total daily energy expenditure are increased. We even see in overfeeding studies, for example, there's an overfeeding study by Harris et al. in 2006, where he saw an average increase on someone's resting metabolic rate by um, 10 to 15% by increasing by overfeeding. So by increasing their calorie intake, they had an increase in resting metabolic rate. So we're offsetting some of that calorie surplus essentially by upregulating all their systems and optimizing them. Because a lot of times when I have this chronic dieter, everything's in the tank. Their needs really low. Their energy intensity is really, or their exercise intensity is really low. And then they're also suffering from so much appetite issues that they tell me they're they're in this 1,200 calorie. You know, they're they're eating 1,200 calories per day, and they might be doing that Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, but they're not recording what they're doing on Saturday or Sunday when they go and eat excessively or have drinks. So they're really not in that seat of energy balance, but they're in this state where they feel restricted. So they have a restriction mindset, but they're not in an energy deficit, which is what's causing that fat loss stall. You know, they're having bites, licks, you know, and extra nibbles throughout the day. They're, they're in the mindset that they're eating such little food, but in reality, they're actually eating more than, you know, their body needs to maintain their body weight, which is why they've stalled. So by increasing their food amount, it's increasing their ability to be adherent. So now say I take that, that female that comes to me claiming to eat 1200 calories per week, I might build her up to 15, 16, 1800 calories, but now she's not having those slip ups on the weekend. So I'm able to actually maintain your body weight at a more consistent intake because we've upregulated all her, you know, her ability to expend energy, as well as we've made her more adherent and consistent on the program. Absolutely. And I think this, this really ties in for the listeners that if you haven't listened to the episode we did two episodes ago, where we really took a deep dive into metabolism, uh, downregulating and upregulating your metabolism is something that's very much under your control, right? And like when we're going through these reverse dieting periods where it is, okay, we're eating more food, so the thermic effect of food is higher, and then you're moving more, and then you're probably, we're focusing on getting you eating more protein, and you're able to train hard, build, or expend more energy there, and build more muscle, like, all these things, it seems so, because again, there's so much like mysticism around reverse dieting, but it's okay, we're getting you by the byproduct of us feeding you more food is all these things upregulate, and then you're in a better position in the future, lose fat, right? But I think people just see it as this closed chain of like, I eat more food. And somehow that's like, but it's again, kind of the byproduct of eating more food and how it impacts all these other things. Yeah, I, I want to dispel this guys. There is no magic with reverse diet. This is a strategic and controlled manner of upregulating both your energy intake and your energy output, because we have to realize that both sides of the energy balance equation. So calories in and calories out are innately tied to them. So when you decrease the amount of calories in that you're taking in in terms of food, you automatically decrease the amount of calories out because of those metabolic adaptations that we covered on that metabolism breakdown or episode. But also as you increase the amount of calories you're taking in, you're increasing the amount of output that your body has. And, and like we actually covered in the first episode on my health centric based coaching model, you know, I said a healthy body is a responsive body. And I mean that in, in terms of internal health, as well as metabolic health, when you feed your body more, you have more ability to expend energy. And I'm also transitioning a lot of these lifestyle clients into a higher energy flux lifestyle, which is another topic I think we're going to get on, on a, a separate podcast. That's something I've had such success with. And that's the concept of eat more, move more. 
So instead of this restriction-based mindset, this is an abundance-based mindset. I'm going to put more energy into the system. I'm going to pull more energy out. And you're going to expend more energy because I'm feeding the function of your body. And this, what we have to realize, reverse dieting isn't magic. It's optimizing the body's internal systems so that they can fire on all cylinders. So if you were a six-cylinder car and you dieted and you got down to four cylinders, your, your body's not operating as much. It's, it's, not, it's, it's more efficient at using fuel. I mean, right. but we want to upregulate it to the point that your body's less efficient. So it burns more energy, just like a six cylinder would burn more gas than a four cylinder. And that's the same concept with calories. We're trying to burn more calories, bring more calories into the system and allow your body to upregulate its ability to burn and expend calories so that you can stay leaner and you can maintain a more sustainable body weight, body fat set point, as well as a more sustainable lifestyle. Because Doing less, you know, eating less and eating less and eating less is only going to work for so long. And that's where we have to look long-term. Think to yourself, can I do this for three more months? Can I do this six more months? If I really want to create a lean, sustainable physique, especially in terms of lifestyle clients, I'm always looking at it as six to 12 months ahead. What can we do now to potentiate, to, to better the situation that they're in six to 12 months, you know, after the diet or even longer? Such an important perspective, dude. I love to, I love to illustrate that to clients as well, because oftentimes like, Hey, what we're going to do to put you in the position to be most successful six to 12 months from now is a lot different than what we would do to get you the quickest results in 30 days. Right. But again, understand we're looking at this from the long game, but to bring that back to reverse dieting a little bit, are there any other reverse dieting considerations you haven't already touched on that you wanted to dig into? Yeah, so I, I want to dig into some considerations or variables that we need to focus on, you know, after the diet, because there are so many factors and variables that we need to, that need to be taken into consideration when entering the reverse dieting phase, most of which many overlook, which is why there's a lot of individuals that haven't had a good experience with a reverse diet. And also, we have a lot of information out there that claims that reverse dieting is magic, that you're going to stay shredded on tons of calories. And there are some individuals that, that have that experience. But when someone has that in their mindset and then they don't have that experience, it kind of changes their perception and their perspective on reverse dieting. So really, in order to properly set up a client's reverse diet, I'm looking at many, many factors. I'm looking at the length of their diet. I'm looking at the depth of the deficit they were in. So how aggressive were they dieting? You know, what's their previous dieting history and their frequency of dieting over the time, over their life course? So that's really, really important, especially with females that have a history of chronic dieting. Because if you've been in these yo-yo patterns, I, I need to know that. I need to know, you know, what, you know, how lean they got in their last diet and how lean they, they are when they come to me. Because there are often cases where someone's dieted to a really lean state and then they've had that post-diet rebound and then they've come to me in a different state. So it doesn't, they, they tell me, hey, I just finished the diet, but they're in a much higher body fat percentage than they were at the end of their diet. So it almost looks as though they didn't diet as harshly or they didn't get to such a lean set point. Um, I need to know their nutritional status in terms of their energy availability, their micronutrient intake. And then I need to look over any nutrient deficiencies they may have, which are further exacerbating the side effects they've experienced during the diet. So, you know, a common example that I see is people being vitamin D deficient. I see a lot of women with iron deficiency. I see a lot of people with deficiencies in iodine, selenium, and tyrosine. And then when I look at those clients' blood works, they often have issues with thyroid, which we know that selenium, iodine, and tyrosine are necessary cofactors, especially for the conversion of T4 to metabolically active T3, which plays a massive role in your resting metabolic rate. I'm also looking at their biofeedback, like their stress levels, 
their sleep quality, their appetite and hunger, performance in the gym, and then all their health markers. And then besides those more objective characteristics and variables, I'm always, I'm also always looking ahead and trying to gauge where a client's head at is because as a coach, I want to make sure that I understand why my client wants to reverse diet, especially if they specifically come to me for that. And I want to understand what they're looking to accomplish out of it because every single person is an individual and they all have different goals. They have a different time course and they have a different mindset and perspective of what they're going to get out of the process. So I'm asking them things like, what are your goals? And you know, what do you hope to achieve out of this phase? You know, I'm, I'm really digging into what are your food focus and your relationship like with food? Because we often see that in the post dieting phase, that's where people are suffering with most. So I need to know, are they susceptible to binge and, and restrict cycles? Are they, you know, do they have this misguided perception on food? Are they a rigid restrainer? Meaning they look at foods as on or off diet or black and white or good or bad foods. I want to know how much fat are you willing to gain? Because that's going to help me gauge the rate of, um, in terms of calorie adjustments that we make in the reverse diet. And what is, you know, what is the reason for coming to me? You know, because we have to really consider, you know, all the factors in, in which someone would, you know, hire a coach. I want to know, is it, do you need accountability? Do you just, you know, you need nutritional competency. So you need education. You don't know much about nutrition. Um, are you looking for someone to help you more on a psychological perspective? I need to know all these things previously because that's going to help me gauge what adjustments I make, what feedback I give them, and especially how I treat that client. I treat all my clients differently based on what that individual needs. There are some that need to be have their hand held a little bit more. And then I have top level competitors where it's like, I give them the prescription, I give them the adjustments, I lay it out very succinctly and they, they just follow and they execute. But every person's different. And that's what a lot of coaches, they have this one size fits all you know, type of process and approach, especially when it comes to reverse diet. They say, I'm going to raise your carbohydrates by 25 a week or by five a week. Or we're going to go this percentage a week. And I never say that type of stuff. And even on a podcast, when I'm saying general recommendations, I'll never give you a percentage exactly that I'm going to do something because every person's an individual. So I need to treat that as an end of one. And that's the difference between taking what's in the research that works on averages and then having experience working with hundreds and hundreds of people and seeing every single person as one point, you know, one data point in time. I love that, man. I know one of the hardest questions for me to answer, a lot of new clients will ask, so like, what's your system? Or like, what's your program? And it's like, well, it so depends on everything that we're about to dig into, right? It's not, it's just this one system that every client goes through. Like it should all be so tailored to the individual. Um, I love where you're coming from there. Do you have, and again, I know this is probably a very, like I'm asking you a very specific question for, um, but it's probably going to have to be kind of a generalized answer. Do you have kind of a mental framework that you push people to, or you kind of help people create prior to the reverse diet? Absolutely. So it, it will differ on how people come to me, but for instance, when I have some, I always want them to plan things in advance. So for instance, if I have someone come to me and we're doing a dieting phase, we're having a fat loss phase. I want them to plan to reverse diet before they reach their goal and the end of their diet. Um, because this is especially important from a mental perspective, because like I said, a lot of people look at dieting as this on and off switch instead of a dimmer. So for instance, I just had a guy wrap up a 16 week photo shoot and he's gotten the leanest he's ever gotten substantially. This guy's been on stage, but this year he had much more tissue. We brought him down in a very controlled manner. We dieted him a lot more effectively and 
you know, intellectually than, you know, intelligently than he had in the past. And he's gotten leader than ever, but he just didn't have the goal of getting on stage. He wanted to do a photo shoot. He's recently engaged. So he did that. And weeks before we ended and we got to the photo shoot, I let him know, listen, as soon as we get done, your, your photo shoots on Saturday, we're going to have, you know, some time to relax Saturday and Sunday. We're going to do some uh, free meals. We're going to have celebrate. But Monday morning, you have a check-in. We start the reverse dieting phase. And I let him know, previous to even starting that 16-week photo shoot prep, because I really did have, he had the intention of getting leaner than ever. He said, listen, I didn't feel like I was prepared last time I was on stage. I didn't get to the conditioning that I, you know, the standard that I set for myself. And I would like to get to a better point. I just don't want to step on stage. That's not really what my passion is or what my goal is. And I let him know from the outset of that 16-week photo shoot prep, we will do a reverse diet. This is a mandatory part of the process because I can't just leave you high and dry and you can't just think, oh, listen, I, I utilize this coach for my four-month fat loss phase and then I go on my own because there's such a high recidivism rate. So in his mind, he knew that. And a couple of weeks out, I was reminding him, listen, we're starting to build back calories up. We're starting to feed him back into the photo shoot because that's part of my peaking process if someone's ready early, which I really prefer. So mm-hmm. I was already starting to start the reverse diet, but I let him know that there's going to be a clear distinction in terms of how we approach this going forward. But it was that end date. He had an end date in mind, but it wasn't like a final destination. It wasn't like right. I finished the diet Saturday and it was everything's, you know, um, you know, everything is out of sight, out of mind. And I'm now doing whatever I want and back to my old lifestyle. It was, listen, I finished my photo shoot. I had a successful shoot. I got leaner than ever. I had some celebratory meals. Monday, I'm back on the program. I get a program update. And now we start the next phase to potentiate his later growth phases in the future because his goal is to accrue more muscle tissue. So that's the first thing. You guys should always be looking to plan your reverse before you reach your goal. Don't just like you wouldn't, um, you know, show up at a party empty handed or you wouldn't, you know, leave for, um, you know, a day at work without packing your meals. You want to be prepared. That's a huge component of reverse dieting and of, you know, living a, um, a successful fitness life in general. You also need to realize that the amount of increases you make will be heavily dependent on your individual response and biofeedback. There is no, you know, uh, percentage or adjustment that I can give you. Like you guys see some guys on YouTube will give out, do an increase of five grams of carbs a week. But how about if that doesn't touch you? How about if you are in a state where you're extremely fatigued and you're not feeling any increase or any improvement from that? There is no blanket prescription. I always say I have principles, not protocols. So I can't tell you in advance what exact increases or adjustments are going to be made. But just so, you know, I try to get that into my client's head. This is dependent on your biofeedback on a week-to-week basis. You need to, you need to realize that you need to track your progress in response by both objective and subjective metrics. And then also, I want clients to realize that a reverse diet starts by slowly adding calories to decrease the size of the deficit until you reach your maintenance calories. From there, we slowly walk calories up to a surplus if gaining is your goal, or in some individuals' cases, we stay at maintenance and we build from there just to get them to a sustainable level of calories where they're happy with their current body composition, but they don't have a desire at the moment to add muscle or any of those type of goals. So it's very goal-dependent on how I'm going to program this, and that's something I want people to realize in advance. Listen, we have to take a good mental perspective on what the reverse diet entails and what you're going to get out of it so that you don't have, you're not under false pretenses. Right. No, absolutely. Okay. I'm very interested to hear how you program a reverse diet then. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So once you finish your diet and begin your reverse, the first step 
in this entire process is to find your new maintenance calorie intake as your new maintenance level of calories is usually significantly different than it was before dieting. So how I do it personally is I'll usually back calculate a client's maintenance based off their current rate of loss and then also what size of the deficit they're in as well as what their energy expenditure or their activity levels are. Once I find their predicted maintenance, I'm going to go to about 85 to 90% of this predicted maintenance to account for metabolic adaptation, which generally we see in the literature is about a 10 to 15% reduction in the total daily uh, energy expenditure a person has. From there, everything's client-specific, and I'm tracking everything through biofeedback metrics, such as their progress photos. So what is their body composition doing with the increases that I'm making on a weekly or, or even a more common basis? What is their weekly average scale weight? I want to see averages, not just single data points. I'm looking at their energy levels. I'm adjusting or I'm monitoring their hunger and their appetite. I'm looking at their um, relationship with food. Are they overly food-focused to the point where I need to make you know, further adjustments? What are their stress levels like, especially in the phase of their lives? Because sometimes someone will do a fat loss phase in the summer where they're off from school. So for instance, I currently have a couple teachers that I work with and they did fat loss phases during the summer. Now they're starting their, their semesters or they're starting their school years. So their stress levels are completely different. So I need to take right. that into consideration when making adjustments to their dietary protocol because there's only so many things within our control. Some of the outside stressors that we have within life, whether it be our students or our work or our children, those are things that we can't just automatically turn off. However, as a coach, I have control or I have the ability to adjust their nutrition, their training, and their activity levels to help manage and mitigate those stressors. So that's where if someone's extremely stressed, I might make a higher adjustment. Or if someone's stressed and it's impeding their digestion, and it's, it's hurting their sleep quality, and I'm seeing that it's lowering their nutrient partitioning and their insulin sensitivity, that's where I'm looking to make less drastic adjustments. Other things that I'm looking at is their mood, their level of motivation, both in and out of the gym. Because as we get more food, we should be in a better state. You know, We've all dieted and been like right. crashed out and in a bad mood and irritable and things of that sort. I'm monitoring digestion because that's a huge thing. You know, I really want to see how they're digesting and assimilating extra nutrients that we're putting into the system and then I also track, which we covered in the first ever episode we did, is blood glucose levels because I want to see their baseline level of insulin sensitivity because that's going to adjust or that's going to impact what adjustments I make, especially in terms of macronutrient composition. Because if someone has you know, very good insulin sensitivity, I'm going to be able to push more carbs into the system, especially if they're doing you know, resistance training and they're active and they're doing glycolytic work that works off the anaerobic uh, pathway, meaning it, it metabolizes carbohydrates for energy. And then a big thing that I always suggest to people is to pay more attention to weekly averages than daily numbers, as there's so many factors and variables that can cause a deviation, especially in terms of like your weight. So once I find that a person's uh, weight is stable, I know that I've, I've essentially gotten them to a place where we found their new maintenance caloric threshold. Because sometimes I do that adjustment 85 to 90% of their predicted maintenance, and they're still in a deficit. They're still losing weight. Right. And it's not just due to, uh, you know, a decrease in cortisol or water fluctuations. And sometimes we overshoot. So that's where adjustments need to be made. And we need to titrate things based on their biofeedback, how they feel, and also what their goals were. And I'm, just from there, I'm making methodical adjustments and increases and monitoring their biofeedback from update to update. Okay. Okay. Now, it sounds like we take basically the exact same approach to reverse dieting where the same way jump 80 to 90% of predicted new maintenance. But I kind of want to play devil's advocate here. 
do you think there's any application for kind of the more, so typically when you say reverse diet, people think, okay, so let's say I'm on a 500 calorie deficit. I'm going to add 50 calories this week and then again, 50 calories and then again, 50 calories. And it's kind of the slow incremental increase to where it's like maybe eight weeks from now, you are back to your predicted maintenance. Do you think there's any place for like that style of reverse dieting? I believe the only time, and the reason I didn't cover this, this component of reverse dieting or that approach is because we're talking about the post dieting period. So really what the goal with this reverse diet is to reverse some of the negative adaptations that come from dieting. Mm -hmm. The only time that a very, very slow increase in calories I think is warranted. So say we're doing 50 calories a week, like some people do. We have to think about the fact that that's five grams of fat or 12 grams of carbohydrates. That's, that's minuscule. So the only time that I find that to be warranted or applicable is if someone is in a dieting phase for a contest or a photo shoot and you're slowly trying to walk their calories up because they still have a goal date in mind and you're essentially taking them from a more severe deficit to a lower deficit. But if you're only increasing 50 or 25 you know, calories per week, you're keeping them in a deficit. So my biggest drawback or my biggest hesitation, I've done that in the past because that's how you know reverse dieting originally started was these very, very small increases. However, we have to keep into consideration, say someone's dieted for 12 or 16 weeks. If we're to elongate things and essentially what people used to look at reverse dieting was, was you took the same steps out of the deficit that you went into them. So if every week you were cutting 50 to 100 calories, they were walking those calories back up. But if that takes another eight to 12 weeks, you're essentially elongating that deficit. So what we really see both, I've seen in my own personal practice as well as in the literature, we do not start to reverse metabolic adaptation until we get to a maintenance intake. So until we get into energy balance. So by doing such a slow and you know very monogamous, you know, monotonous approach, you're essentially elongating that person's diet because they're in a deficit. They're still feeling all the metabolic adaptations, the hormonal adaptations. They have the low energy availability. They have you know low testosterone or low estrogen if you're a female. And a lot of times we're not seeing the reversal of that. We have to realize the reverse diet is also, it's not just about increasing calories incrementally, but it's also about reversing some of these side effects and also, you know, essentially improving someone's recovery capacity from the dieting because dieting is a stressor in and of itself. So the only time I would do that is in a case like, like I mentioned with my photo shoot client, 14 weeks, Mm -hmm. we were in a deeper deficit. That last two weeks of that diet, I started to raise his calories up, but he was still in a deficit. We still needed to bring him into, you know, photo shoot condition. However, once we finished that diet on that, you know, Sunday, that Monday, I got him back up to maintenance intake because that is the premise of reverse dieting is to restore your body, not to keep you in a deficit, because if not, you're going to keep a lot of the effects that people are feeling that are causing them to want to get out of a diet or that cause that weight regain, that hyperphagia, that increased hunger is because you're still in a deficit. So you're kind of doing a person a service if you keep them in this elongated deficit. You're kind of just, you know, just teasing their body with a little bit, you know, 50 calories here and 25 calories here. Absolutely. And I mean, if we're we're reverse adding correctly again, and this is part of why it's 80 to 90% of predicted maintenance rather than jumping out there. We want to make sure we don't overshoot. But again, like if we nail that, you're not going to gain fat coming out of this, like with this initial jump, right? So it's basically, we can get you to the point where three, four weeks down the road, you feel great or you feel a lot better. At least we are closer to being able to productively build muscle again. Or again, you can spend another eight to 16 weeks just feeling like shit. 
without really seeing any positives from it. Um, but again, I think that's important to talk about because still I know a lot of people unnecessarily reverse diet like that and there's not a lot of benefits to it. Yeah, I don't. So here's the thing. I know a lot of people, a lot of coaches that have taken that approach and I did initially too. So I'll tell you, I'll be honest, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, I did that approach. I did it to myself. I did it to many clients. And the reason was, was that was what was being promoted as what a reverse diet was. And we didn't know as much about hormonal adaptations, metabolic adaptations. Um, there wasn't as much research out. Plus, I hadn't worked with as many people, so I didn't see the negative ramifications. But I will say, when I took that very subtle approach, I noticed that people's, their biofeedback was still negative. And one of the main um, reasons why I was reverse dieting them to begin with was to reverse some of those, that negative biofeedback. I was trying to improve their quality of life. My biggest thing in a reverse diet, I'm trying to get you to eat as much food as possible while maintaining your body weight. I'm trying to reset your body's ability to utilize calories more efficiently so that you're not in this conserve and this uh, frugal mode where your body's conserving as much calories as possible and driving down your intake. So I'm trying to put more energy in the system so more energy comes out. And by taking that very... Um, slow and steady approach, it's not to say that someone can't do it and be successful, but I also saw both from a physiological perspective, those, those uh, clients, their blood work was still negative. They were still feeling, you know, they couldn't sleep well. They had lack of energy, but also from a psychological perspective, those were the same people that were having trouble during the reverse dieting phase. Cause think about it. If their show or their wedding or whatever event they were getting ready for was done, that was a big mental driver for them and motivator. But right. once that was done, if I only increased calories, 50 calories, that's, you know, a cup of strawberries essentially. So they were really getting no relief from the, the psychological impact of dieting, that, that restricted, restrictive mindset. And so what I started to realize was, especially in those early days, people were more susceptible to binging because we hadn't increased their calories enough. They were still in the deficit. So both from a physiological or physical perspective, a psychological perspective, but also from an adherence perspective, I saw that making more of a a drastic increase in calories and realize we're getting you back to maintenance. So a lot of times people will take that slow and steady approach where it's 50 calories here and 50 calories there because they don't want to regain fat. Well, you won't regain fat in a deficit. However, you won't re regain fat also at maintenance. So it's really about finding that new maintenance baseline. And I always try to explain to clients, like I explained to you guys in the previous episode, you are not in a position when you're in a deficit to be highly likely to gain muscle. So if your your goal is to put on tissue, you need to at least get yourself back up to maintenance to have enough fuel to be able to help those processes of rebuilding and accreting new protein, essentially new muscle tissue. So if we want to do that, keeping yourself in the deficits, we need elongating that process. So we really want to get you back to your body's uh, state that your body's safer, that it's more comfortable. And, and we build from there and we continue to build your intake. And so I found that taking a, a larger approach. So for some people that's increasing their calories, 300, that's 400. Some people have taken them a thousand calories over what they were dieting on and they've responded really well. It's that 50 to hundred calories per week it's very generic and I just haven't found as good of results in my practice. And also, you know, looking both at objective and subjective markers, it just hasn't panned out. But I do know that many people took that approach previously. And those were the, the people, and I did it myself, so I'm guilty of this, that you're supposed to reverse dieting transformations. Well, yeah, you know, this person went from eating 100 grams of carbs at their lowest state to 200 grams of carbs, but their diet went 24 weeks instead of 12 weeks. 
You kept them in right. deficit this whole time. So that's why they were able to make these, these amazing transformations where they would claim, hey, I doubled this client's carbon take and they stayed just as lean. Well, they were in a deficit the whole time. So it's not really an accomplishment. That's reverse dieting transformations, like in that regard, <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves because it's like, okay, if we look a little bit deeper here, it's not quite what it appears because it does again seem like okay this coach has this magic system where all of a sudden everyone can just eat way more and they're shredded right and it's there's more to the picture than that but i love it man so because i get this question a lot how, how do you typically know when to end a reverse diet so it's it's very person dependent it's going to matter on the initial things that i spoke about the mental framework previous to going into the phase so if someone tells me that they just want to maintain their lifestyle. They want to maintain a low body fat percentage. Then we might go from a reverse diet. We build them up to the point that we start seeing them gaining weight in terms of a percentage of body weight, which we know is above their maintenance level. So for instance, mm -hmm. we know that maintenance is a range. So your calorie intake is going to be a range as well as your daily weight. That's why I take weekly weight uh, averages. But if I see someone about 1% to 3%, over that average weekly scale weight, I know that they're, they're starting to get into a surplus, which is where we would right. keep them there, build their expenditure so we could keep them in energy balance and maintain their weight. Now for others, you know, they might have the goal of building muscle and going into a, a lean gaining phase or into a massing phase. And that's where it would be based off the feedback. Where, when do you start feeling better? When is your training performance through? Where can we make different progressions? What's your lifestyle like? What's your schedule like? What are your stress levels like? So I'm asking all these different questions throughout the course, but if I had to give you more of a general scenario, I like that there is a good ratio. So if someone dieted for you know, 12 weeks, I want to stay in a reverse dieting phase for at least eight to 12 weeks to try to match that. Because we do see in the literature that when you look at contest prep case studies of dieting, it takes as much time to reverse many of the negative adaptations that were sustained during the diet after the diet. But we also have to keep in consideration that that's because they get to an extremely low level of body fat. So with a competitor, I will match that. So we often see in case studies that if someone did a six month diet for a bodybuilding, a natural bodybuilding show, it generally takes them about six months to recover all their hormone profiles, um, all their metabolic profiles, their resting metabolic rate, their total daily energy expenditure. So we might match that. Now, if it's a lifestyle client and they only did a 12-week diet, I might only need eight to 12 weeks to rebuild them back up to a better intake and finish that reverse diet. The other scenario is if someone comes to me and I've had this case where it's someone that has a chronic dieting history, they've dieted 15, 20 times over the years, they've chronically been in a dieting phase. I've taken people as long as six to 12 months. And I know that sounds extremely long, but if you've had a bad relationship with food and with dieting, I need to reset everything. I need to get you more comfortable with eating consistently in terms of having good energy availability over the long haul rather than going through these cycles. And with a lot of those type of clients, what I find is that they want to, you know, they come to me and they're, they're willing to reverse diet only to get back into a diet. What I really have to look, I have to reset their lifestyle habits and behaviors. So that's where I'll take a more elongated approach, but think about it. You know, I'll often explain to these clients, if you've spent the last 10 years of your life, yo-yo dieting, us taking six to 12 months to rebuild your metabolic capacity and really reshape your habits, behaviors, and lifestyle, that's a drop in the bucket compared to what you've been doing. And often what I try to get across to people, especially when they are scared of eating more or doing less, you know, these are chronic, you know, over restrictors in terms of food and over exercisers. I, I just re reinforce them and I remind them, 
what you've been doing hasn't been working. It's gotten you the results that you're unhappy with. So you need to do, if you want something different, you need to be willing to do something different. Okay, absolutely. One last question for you on that. Um, for a client with a very adaptive metabolism. So I know I've had clients where it's like, yo, where we're seeing, okay, as a response to eating more, they're seeing a pretty dramatic upregulation in need. Is there a point where you would, okay, we could just keep bumping up your maintenance more and more and more if we wanted to like continue in the reverse diet, but we just need to cut it off here due to like, is there a point where it's, Hey, this might be more detrimental to keep feeding you more food rather. Does that make sense? It does. I'll take it from my own uh, personal perspective. Cause I have an extremely adaptive metabolism. So for okay. me, I can, uh, when I diet, you know, when I competed, I had to get fairly low on you know, for someone over 200 pounds on stage, I would have to get to about 1800 calories. So, you know, per, per um, pound, my uh, amount of energy availability is pretty low. But then okay. on the opposite side, I can maintain my body weight between 34 and 3800 calories and really start gaining weight. I got to go to 4200 calories. So think about that. That's a 2400 calorie gap that we're looking at. Right. So what I would encounter with myself, and then I also have specific clients, I've had guys I've had get them up to seven, eight, 900 grams of carbs. And what ends up happening is at a certain level, you know, once we reverse diet and we get them into a gaining phase, they just can't get more. There's just not enough time in the day. And also their digestive capacity just can't handle that amount of food. And that's where we need to go into a maintenance phase, lower their food, reset their digestion. What we also have to realize is just like the metabolic adaptation works on the way down, works on the way up. So often we'll see metabolic adaptation, lower energy expenditure by 10 to 15%. We could see that on the way up. Remember, that's a buffering zone. So for instance, if someone's maintaining their calories at 5,000 calories and they just feel like their, their stuff, their digestion is, is poor, they're having an inability to, you know, they're lethargic because of all the food that they're taking in, they feel constantly bloated. I'm going to do something like a, re, a digestive reset and I'm going to cut their calories by 10 to 15%. And generally, I don't see them lose a lot of scale weight. They usually stay right around that maintenance intake because they have what I call an artificially inflating maintenance calorie intake because of their energy expenditure increase. The other option that I have with that is to pull down their expenditure, you know, limit their daily steps. I have a guy that I built him up to 855 grams of carbs per day. This off season is about 48 to 4,900 calories. Yeah. He's IFBB pro, but he had never been up that level. We started noticing bloating and some digestive systems right. and I pulled him down right away and he maintained his body weight on about 800 calories less, which was substantial. No, but it was enough that that was 200 grams of carbs that we pulled down. And so it, it allowed him to eat a more um, easy to take in amount of food. It helped us reset his insulin sensitivity. So I saw improvements in his blood glucose markers. And then also we were able to take a period of time where he was not feeling like he was constantly force feeding himself. And that's huge psychologically. Just like during a diet, you suffer psychologically in terms of always thinking about food. When you're in an off season phase, and you're pushing food. We've all been there where we dread our next meal. So there's, there's all these different swings on the ends of the spe you know, spectrum in the pendulum. Right. right. Absolutely. And that's again, like, a, I think that's probably a little bit more fringe because I know a lot of people listening to this that are like coming out from the diet perspective are like, what? Like you're saying I wouldn't want to eat more, but it is very like when you get into a building phase, it is a very real thing. Um, last question for you on reverse dieting. Would you say are there, there are like some most common characteristics you see in the people that are most successful with reverse diets? Yeah. You know what? 
over my time working with people, I've, I've reverse dieted a lot of people. And what I notice is it's a lot of mental characteristics. So it's not like a specific diet that they follow or a certain macronutrient distribution. It's more so that they adopt a lifestyle rather than a diet with an endpoint. So they make things like eating well, training regularly, and staying active a component of their daily life instead of just looking at things as a 12-week transformation. And that's why a lot of people right. that have that mindset of just having an end goal or a destination in sight are those that suffer from this post-diet uh, fat regain. You know, these individuals that are successful, they understand that the positive behaviors and habits they incorporated to lose the weight uh, need to be continued in some capacity post-diet. Uh, which is why you need to take a sustainable approach because if you want to maintain your results, this isn't something you need to be able to do long-term in order to maintain your results long-term. Another thing that I noticed is that they practice regular cognitive restraint. So that could be doing things like tracking and weighing your food, calorie and macro count, or using a meal plan or even a flexible dieting approach. And there's a ver variety of methods that are under that cognitive restraint that essentially allow you to keep some checks and balances in terms in, in place in terms of your energy balance intake during the reverse dieting process so that, you know, you're accounting for things. Um, they also utilize self-monitoring strategies. So I have people weigh themselves daily or at least very regularly as this helps, you know, them remain aware and accountable to their goals and make sure that they don't veer too far off track. So they see that their scale weight goes up drastically in one week because they've been snacking or they've been eating off plan. It kind of gives them a reminder, hey, listen, I have a goal in sight and I need to stay, you know, mostly on the program, I need to be more adherent to what my goals are and keep my actions in alignment with my goals. They exercise regularly. So we actually see in statistics that of people who lose weight and keep it off, over 70% do so by combining both diet with exercise, not just one or the other. And then in additional form of exercise, um, you know, people who lose fat and keep it off are highly physically active. And this is where I, I mentioned that I would utilize a higher energy flux model with clients to eat more while staying leaner as higher levels of physical activity, not only help with weight maintenance as it's been shown in the research, but they also increase, you know, your, your sensitivity to satiety signals. So you're better able to tell when you're full and you're less likely to overeat. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So basically don't, <laughs> like you said before, this isn't an on off switch, right? The habits that got you here, you probably need to keep most of them in place. And I think, again, like the scale is an important one because so many people go like, okay, I weighed myself. And again, like not like we need to be too fixated on your scale weight, but it's more accountability, right? Like so many people will lost weight, I lost weight, I lost weight. Okay. Now that diet's over, I'm not going to weigh myself for like three, four weeks. Right. And then that's when it's a lot more likely to be like, fuck, okay. I, <laughs> I, I lost a lot of this. So I think, but as a whole, looking at this is, this is my lifestyle. Well, the food, the food intake might change like all these habits of like food selection um my movement etc those things need to stay in place I, you crush that man um just having a foundation in place where you build off i always try to get the clients to think of this is my base foundation for success so it's lean proteins it's fibrous vegetables it's multiple servings of fruit per day it's a good amount of fiber intake it is micronutrient dense whole foods and then from there when you reverse that we can add more flexibility in there because you have more calorie you know uh you know a calorie amount that we can work with but we always keep our base it's not like we just completely discard all these things that served us well in place for other habits that won't uh, you know won't serve us as well absolutely i love it so i think that's a very thorough kind of walk through of the reverse dieting process and really how to avoid 
this body fat overshooting effect that we discussed in the previous episode. Do you have any other final kind of thoughts you want to leave everyone with to sum this up or no? Yeah, so honestly, I just want people to see this and realize that habits are everything. So it really comes down to adherence and consistency in terms of your actions, your behaviors, and your habits. And so what served you well during the diet will serve you well after. And it's not about keeping the same exact diet because we don't want to be in the deficit for the rest of our lives, but it's about really building your lifestyle around these type of habits because a lot of people come to me and they say, I want to, you know, maintain low body fat percentage year round, or I want to have a leaner, uh, more muscular physique, but they only want to do it for, you know, a specific period of time. They want to achieve in 12 weeks. So they want a 30 day shred challenge. What you need to realize is anything that's easy to, to or quick to attain is quick to lose. And that's why so many people go through these drastic yo-yo dieting periods because they haven't taken enough time, A, to really earn their results, but also B, right. to cement the habits needed to continue to maintain the results going forward. So it's really about taking the sustainable approach. I know it's not a sexy thing to sell, but you know, reverse dieting, I, I see it as an ability to practice life at maintenance practicing what life your life will be like at this set level of body fat, as well as what habits are needed to maintain that body fat percentage. Cool. So in essence, play the long game with all this because that's the only way to keep your results long-term. I love it, man. So once again, dude, thank you so much for being here. Um, this two part series, so damn helpful for some of the most common struggles people have. And again, I think a thing that there's not nearly enough information out there about, so before I let you go one more time, we just tell everyone where they can find you and anything you have going on right now. You want to plug? Absolutely. So you guys can find me um, best at Instagram at Brandon DeCruz underscore. And then for any inquiries, feel free to reach out to me via email at bdecruzfitness at gmail.com. Cool. And once again, I will link all that up on the show notes, guys. Again, man, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure, my friend.